Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about the return of Bowman Baseball, 89 to 91, before some of you were born, but uh, still part of the hobby lore. Thanks, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Card, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, all wonderful sponsors, patronize them. Bowman, part of Tops, very competitive in the 50s, went dormant for a while, and for some reason, Tops brought him out in 89. So, Rich, uh, welcome to the show. What is your recollection of the, the fanfare? It was huge because it was just new. And as we were thinking about this, I realized in 89 what it did is that there was a temporary shortage that lasted for a month or so of eight pocket pages. Really? Because nobody, you weren't having a lot of new Bowmans would necessarily hit the market from the tops, the pre-57s. Not a ton of them would re-hit the market. You had a pretty steady amount of the vintage well, oversized cards. Increased the demand and the supply was... The same. All of a sudden, you've got this huge amount of new cards coming out that are that size. And in those days, and I'm going to use the word everybody, you never use the word everybody. But so many collectors were taking their cards, building their sets, and putting them into sheets and albums. Because it just looks nice. And, and 89 Bowman, to its credit, is an absolutely beautiful set. I can't get over the height. Yeah. It just tears me up. And then you got to, in the eight pocket sheets, you've got to go horizontal. Yeah. So the aesthetic was tops. You think they, that's think, a, intentional that, or a misfire? I think it's both. It was a huge hit in 89. But as you said, doing the design the way they did goofed up some of the demand for the next couple of years, which we'll get into. But 89 is huge. No, but, but just because of Griffey. But, but even Griffey, but then other people too. The other thing with 89, and he's no longer with us, but I'm going to use an example of Johnny Ard. Johnny Ard was a first-round draft pick of the Minnesota Twins. They started using Austin Manahan was the first-round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates. Yeah, yeah. They were using that to put prospects onto cards. It's not just Griffey. prospects. It's really the first prospect-driven set. They continue that till this day, but those are prospect-driven cards. And it was prospect-driven set. Prospect-driven set. That had a nice. Now that was part of the plan. Yes, I'm sure that was part of the yes, plan. Yes, that is definitely part of the plan. Plus, Tops is getting more competition in those days. Upper Deck joins in '89, scores '88. They already have Fleer and Donruss. They're competing against. They have this deal. They can use these guys in major league uniforms, where the other companies are constrained to the 40-man roster, and that's it. Tops had a competitive advantage in the way they approached players and signed players, not necessarily the PA, but individual contracts. Correct. I'm still fixating on the size that, that they were, because like you said, the eight pocket sheets, there's a big part of the hobby that likes plastic sheets. And it was a bigger deal then uh, at that time. Do you think they just were thinking, we need that extra differential that people will see that, hey, these are not the same as our base tops uh, flagship set? And they also wanted to evoke the memories of the Bowman set. Because from 53 to 55, the Bowman sets were large. And I think yes. they'd rather do the large than small. Yes. Okay. So on that sense, but you're right, the design element was a misfire, not in terms of being large, but how they did the photos on the cards and how the cards would be in plastic sheets. They, they might have been better off with a 1960 type design and do horizontal to fit, fit in the sheet. To right. fit in the sheet. I, I just don't know that they thought about all those things. Okay. The other thing they did that was interesting is they've done Tiffany's before. And my theory is that the Tiffany's for the 89 Bowman's are way easier on the grading perspective, because they weren't in packs. 
they probably went straight to, to, to BGS or PSA or someplace. Not in 1989. Eventually, yes. Yeah, set but aside. But if they're in the, in the Tiffany sealed box yeah. or something, then they're broken out and they're going to go to grading as soon as grading hit. Considering they're hobby only. Yeah. That is definitely a big help. Being hobby only is certainly giving less handling than even just selling in a retail store. Yeah. That is one reason they will grade higher. And the 90 Bowman Tiffany will grade higher too. They've just been handled less. Okay, we grouped this episode to be 89, 90, and 91 Bowman baseball. That What do they have in common? Only the first set is oversized. Apparently, Bowman figured it out after that. They each had some rookies of note. They're all prospect-oriented, but they don't have any inserts that well, are, have, that are worth even mentioning. They don't have any inserts, but they mentioning. do have inserts in 89 and 90. I know, but they're inconsequential. They are inconsequential, but they're cool. But you're right, there are no inserts, but if you think about it, in those days, none of the sets were insert-driven in 89. Look at the yeah. other companies. There's no inserts, really. Yeah. 89, Donruss has, what, the Grand Slammers and the... Ins- they were cheap inserts. Cheap They're all cheap inserts. inserts. Okay, okay. When I'm reflecting on this, 92 Bowman really put Bowman on the map as a legit brand that was very competitive with the other companies. But 89, 90, and 91, which is in the junk wax kind of consideration, my theory now is that put a bad taste in people's mouth at that time of what Bowman the brand was. And it reinforced the notion that 52 tops, maize and mantle are the way to go, as opposed to 51 Bowman, maize and mantle, who are absolutely the true rookie card. I buy that 89 Bowman was also a very popular set upon contact. 90 and 91 Bowman really weren't. I don't know if I went with him for this because it was a one day trip or whether he just did it himself, but Theo goes to Houston. Yeah comes back with a box of 91 Bowmans. The List Brothers PR They were an entrenched, established, long-serving PR company for a company that didn't put a high value on PR and didn't need to for a lot of those years. And so information wouldn't always come out. Well, 91 Bowman gets released and nobody knows. The dealers may have got an auction, but you don't see, at the time, you don't see anything on Sportsnet before it comes out. You don't see pre-sales on Sports Collectors Digest with their 400 pages a week. You don't see notes on 91 Bowman. All of a sudden, there it is live with the first Pudge Rodriguez card yes. in a major league uniform. Yes. Yeah. And it's, excuse me? You have this really cool set. You have Pudge in a Rangers uniform. You're the first card of him, and you have no information on it? We shouldn't compare Ryan Cracknell now is has stuff out instantly, but a lot of that's provided by the companies. And so they're doing it in a digital-friendly way, but that wasn't the case 30 years ago. No, it wasn't. The, the, the list PR, I don't think it was high-budget PR. <laughs> it certainly it was wasn't. old-fashioned PR. It was and really we were expected to do a lot of that legwork, I think. We did a lot of the work for some of these companies and uh, because we were telling them what was scarce sometimes. And they could maybe confirm or deny or verify or disclaim any knowledge about certain things. We were their eyes and ears sometimes. We were. And that's why And one of the things about Mike Kramer, which in retrospect was absolutely brilliant, but at the time we all thought it was a conflict of interest, was the small Pacific Coast trading store in front of his office. At least there, it was always... He dealt with real customers. He dealt with real customers. Yeah. And they were retail pricing. He did not discount anything. He didn't undercut his own dealers. He didn't undercut his own dealers. Yeah. And a smart so, guy. So he's a very yeah. smart guy. He just finished his last chemo, by the way. Oh, good. I hope he's finished he, in a he good seems way. To be, <laughs> he seems to be doing well. I do yeah. follow him on Facebook. Yeah. No, he doesn't want to talk a lot about cards either. <laughs> but we, every once in a while, we'll chat. Not, you know, just yeah. about other yeah. stuff. But... For example, Mike got the word out about his stuff. Yeah. He knew who to talk to to do what. 
I know we're not the only ones that weren't yeah. getting information from the Lisp brothers. But it wasn't in a professional PR way. You know, normal Lisp, they were doing traditional PR. And again, that's 20th century. And it was more like the typewritten news release yeah. kind of things. And we were data hounds. We didn't need a, a two-paragraph release. We needed the data. We needed the, the, the facts. And we're talking about Bowman in terms of the overproduced error, or what some people call the junk wax error. Yeah. I have a pretty good idea because of all the donations I've handled over the years. Oh, yeah. I see very little Bowman compared to Topps or Donruss, and especially 9091. Okay. I see a lot less of that. There are some dealers who stocked up, but for the most part, you will see less 9091 and even 89 Bowman than you will other years. They just don't show up in the donation boxes. Well, nowadays, it would be obvious that Topps flagship is the most produced baseball brand. The question is, was that the case in 89? Or did Donruss print even more? Did Fleer and Donruss over, in terms of just the quantity of cards out there, tops, or do you think Topps is still, is, because clearly they're more Topps than Bowman yes. in 89, 90, yes. 91. But are you saying that Topps flagship, which prints to demand, I don't think they're overproducing, I think a lot of people collect those sets. Still, there's an awful lot of 89 Donruss out there. Yes, there's a ton of 89 Donruss and 90 Donruss and 91 Donruss to a slightly lesser extent are by far, and 88 Donruss too. They are the four biggest years of Donruss. 88 tops, I think there is more 88 tops than Donruss. 89, it's borderline 90. It's borderline 91, there's more tops. Bowman is definitely- And Bowman is way under. Bowman's way under. Under Upper Deck, under oh, yeah. Fleer, under, what else would be there? I guess. Well, 91, you have Ultra. Score. Score. Mm -hmm. There's not a ton of 91 score, but there's definitely more than Bowman. Yeah. So there's something to be said for the, I don't want to say lack of quantity, because that's not really true, but you'll have more trouble chasing down a stack, let's say, of 20, 90 Bowman Frank Thomas rookies than you would chasing down even 20 tops or 20 scored 90 top Frank Thomas rookies. Okay. So you like the aesthetic of the 89, 90, 91 design, other than the size, forget about that, 89, 90, 91 Bowman. Do you think those are nice? I really cards? like the 89. Okay. I really okay. like the 89 design. Okay. 90 and 91 are, in my opinion, yeah. They're Me Too designs. Yes. They're, they're not uh, fresh. Yeah. Okay. So, again, we're going to stop at 91, but then something happened in 92 that either Topps got a new design director or a new something, but 92 really is what put Bowman on the map. Was that uh, better design, more limited production, or way better rookie crop? I think it's a mix of all of it. What I mean is 92 Bowman. And I, more hobby distribution. And a little better hobby of, distribution, but it was still tough in the hobby. I remember... I'm at a White Plains show Thanksgiving of 92 where, and well, thank you. You were nice enough in those days. We had a bunch of us living where we could go home for Thanksgiving. And you had territorial the, rights. And we had territorial rights. And I had a good show to go to. The rule with my parents and at that time was you've got to make sure we get at least one dinner with you. Okay. Fair enough. They knew it was a business trip. You were saving hotel costs. I was staying with them. That's good. a win-win. Such win. a deal. I know. <laughs> That's a win for all of us. Yep. And I remember hearing Mike Gordon say, oh, yeah, you can have the 90, to one of the customers, you can have the 92 Bowman set for $100. I'm thinking, what, what, wait a second, what planet am I on? Because in those days, all the sets are 10, 15, 20 dollars. Yeah. It's like a hundred. <laughs> I didn't realize how popular it had gotten. It does have a really good rookie crop. It has one of the, along with Fleer Update, one of the only two Mike Piazza rookie cards. The second year Pedro Martinez card is better than the 91 uh, right. Upper Deck Final Edition. It's got Manny Ramirez, the gold foil and the USA. I think Manny Ramirez has two rookies in the set. It's obviously got a really good rookie class. It's more popular. The design is beautiful. Yeah. And it's even got the UV coating, which brings it into the 1990s. Yeah. It was a step up. It was it, definitely it a major step up. step up. So even if there's more 92s than 91s, the fact that everything's so much better jump-started the demand. So even if 
and I'm just going to throw out numbers. If there's twice as many 92s as 91s, there was three times as much demand for the 92s and 91s. And that really... I think there's more 92s than 91s? I said if. I don't think there are. I don't think there are either, but I used the word if. I think they had... They'd either gotten a handle on the distribution because it was appropriately tough in the hobby shops. I don't remember a lot of retail. Maybe there was. But... And I, I just can't get out of my mind. This skinny guy that had a quirky pitch, Mariano Rivera, that who could have known that he would go on? That, that's why people do rookie prospecting. He yeah. didn't even look like a ball player. Do you he know, looked like a high school kid. Do you, he was almost a high school I'm kid. Saying. And do you know what that card goes for nowadays? Oh, outrageous. My goodness. I remember a couple of years ago, we we're talking about Eddie in one of the previous episodes. Yeah. Eddie Kelly yeah. goes to the National, and he could not find a Mariano Rivera rookie card anywhere. He would have paid retail to get it for the guy who wanted to get it signed. Yeah. It's a cool-looking card. And yeah. Other than the Griffey rookie, that card is better than any other Bowman card. And, and it's better than the Griffey rookie, too. But that's better than any other card. That's better than any other set of those, maybe equal to a Tiffany. Yeah, the only card, and in all honesty, I think, in eight, look, yes, visually, the 89 Griffeys. The 89 Upper Deck Griffey is also a very visually yeah. beautiful card. 91, there's a Chipper Jones rookie at 91 Bowman. Yes. A real, you don't see a lot of those compared to tops. I see tops and upper deck and even score all the time. I don't see Bowman that often in 91 Chipper Jones. We're throwbacks, Rich. We go by whether we see it. Everybody else is looking at the pop reports to see if it's been graded. I think Bowman's, it's not great cardstock, so they, you know, yeah. I think it's probably difficult. Thanks, Rich, for a walk down memory lane with the resurrection of the Bowman line, which has gone on to great expanded uh, success for tops and a lot of fun to see still the prospect orientation that they brought in has has, uh, lingered it's been a great development in the hobby and a great uh, feather in tops cap so thanks rich thanks everybody be back again tomorrow